0: pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and uh, God, we thank you that when you left Jesus, when you were resurrected, you didn't leave us alone, but you gave us your Holy Spirit and you gave us your word. God, help us to lean into um, what you've already said and how you're still continuing to speak. Let us be people that hear and respond to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Uh, um, Thank you, Caitlin. Uh, I'm, you didn't ask, but I'm doing well. Uh, I am like three weeks away from becoming, uh, less than three weeks away from becoming the father to a little girl, so I'm not scared. I'm not, stop, guys, I'm not scared. I'm I'm not terrified. I'm totally fine. Actually, totally independent of that, um, if you're a parent and you have a, a little boy three years old and younger, I'd love to meet with you guys and encourage you to find other churches. Um, there's so many great places that I think you could go. Just uh, And again, totally independent of having a daughter soon. Um, all right, this morning, we have so much to cover. Um, and I'm going to do a quick recap on kind of where we've been uh, on Mar- May 1st. We started something brand new, probably the biggest thing we've started as a church. It's a seven-month initiative um, called Wholehearted. And so the recap from that comes from a a verse in Matthew, Matthew 22. Uh, Experts of the law are questioning Jesus, and they said to him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And again, to recap that, Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus started Christianity, but Jesus was actually a deeply Jewish man, and when he came, he fulfilled the Jewish law, and he started so many new things. He said so many new things, but one of the new things Jesus said is not this. This comes all the way back, about 2,000 years before that, in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, it's a common Jewish prayer that would have been prayed every night and every morning. It's called the Shema, And, and what it was is encouraging us to love God with all of our heart. And when we hear heart, as Americans are in the Western world, we know that that's the organ that pumps the blood to our bodies, and even sometimes we reference our heart as being kind of the place that we feel things. And uh, that is how we interpret it. But remember, we have to dig into the mind of Jesus, or the the mind of Moses, who penned the, the Shema who penned, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And in a Jewish mind, and this is just recap, in a Jewish mind, your heart was the seat of your um, thoughts, of your emotions of your body, your physical body, and of your choices. And so when we have said, you know, we want to be people that are wholehearted, we're not just talking about people with healthy emotions. It's that and it's so much more. We want to enter into the Jewish mindset. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, he's saying, I want you to love God with your mind, with your emotions, with your body, with your choices, with everything that you are. And so as we go after that, we just want to hit different areas of the heart. We specifically um, feel like our calling as a church here is um, that we would be a church that, and we need, in the, in the city of Cincinnati, we need good seeker-friendly churches. And uh, I think we like have really good seeker-friendly churches. We f- specifically feel called to help um, those of us that might have faith. And if you don't have faith, I think this is still a really good, safe place for you. But maybe you've been hurt by the church, or you grew up in church, or you haven't been in a while. We want to see people, we want to go from one to two or two to three, or discouraged to hopeful, or lukewarm to fiery. We want to be like the burning ones. We want to go from um, potentially a little bit in the middle to like all the way in for Jesus, milk to solid food, hearers to doers. We want to go from believers, people that theologically agree with the statement, to people that are actually following after Jesus. That's where we're going, and so if you're new here, like this is kind of what we're going after. How do we become wholehearted for Jesus and, uh, and how do we give every aspect of who we are to him? Because um, what we feel like the, the city of Cincinnati needs, because we're just one small part in a broader church in Cincinnati and a broader church throughout the rest of the world. But what we felt like Cincinnati needs is a few that are wholehearted. We need to be a few. And all it takes is a few to change a city. What if a few of us, uh, what if this room just started to burn for Jesus like never before? What if we started to fall deeper and deeper in love with him? What we feel like Cincinnati needs is a few that are wholehearted. And so that's going to look a few ways. Um, We're in the middle of just the very first kind of mini-series. And every month we're going to be talking about a different topic. And we're starting right now with family. uh, And there's going to be a slide that kind of says some of the questions or thoughts we're answering uh, over the next few months. But next month we're talking about practice, uh, health worldview, Jesus, who was Jesus, why is it worth falling in love with him, the church, and then multiply. Because healthy Christians, healthy followers of Jesus multiply themselves. And the big question um, that, or maybe it's more of a dream, that uh, when I was on a silent retreat a couple months ago, I really felt like the Lord pressed on me, and and I want to press on us, is like, what if? Just what if at the end of this year, you loved knew and experienced Jesus more than you ever have. And and it might help even just to close your eyes. Let's close our eyes and let's actually picture that because I know that I, I know Jesus, I love Jesus and I experience him. And what's getting me out of bed in the morning is like, what if there is more? So I just want you to imagine at the end of this year, what if you could look back and say, man, I know Jesus more than I ever have. I love Jesus more than I ever have loved him. And I'm experiencing more of his presence than I ever have before. And it's that dream that I'd love for us to dream together as a community. And we're starting with what I would say is um, the the base. And you can open your eyes unless you're sleeping. Just go ahead. I'll wake you up when relevance is here. But it's that question that we're kind of starting at the base level of family. And when we say family, we both mean nuclear and non-nuclear, or community or friendships, friends that feel like family. And so uh, Michelle kicked us off last week answering one big question with so much Bible. Michelle, you killed it. That was amazing. So much Bible, such a good message. And she answered this question, why? Why, if we're going to be going after Jesus wholehearted, why is community, why is family, why are friendships worth it? And and that was last week. This week and next week I'm going to be answering the question, how? How do we make friends or how do we engage with a community? Specifically today, how do we make uh, our tight-knit friends and how do we next week engage with a broader community or a church? And, uh, and this morning, we're leaning into all the experts. So much psychology, so much sociology. Also, of course, some Bible. But we're leaning into the experts. Uh, I read a book by Jenny Allen this week, which is really good. Um, Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. Uh, Caitlin reads like a book a day, and she's been taking notes for me, which is super helpful. Robin Dunbar, evolutionary psychologist, has so much to say. Our very own Brandon McCauley studies community and friendships and sent me like three pages of notes, and I'm like, this is amazing. So we're leaning into all the experts, and of course, Jesus himself, asking this one question, how do we make friends? How do we make friends, and why is it worth it to make friends? And the big idea this morning is it's hard to be wholehearted for Jesus when we have half-hearted Friendships. It's hard to be wholehearted for Jesus when we have half-hearted friendship. So about 30 years after Jesus was resurrected, Paul writes a letter to a new church in the city of Ephesus. It's called Ephesians. And we're going to kind of look at the beginning and end at this church and the ways that they were engaging with Jesus and the ways that they were following Jesus. So Ephesians 1, 15 to 16 says, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so uh, 30 years, about 62 A.D. is when most scholars think this was written. About 30 years after Jesus is resurrected, there's a new church in the city of Ephesus. And Paul's saying, man, you guys are killing it. Specifically, you're killing it on two important areas. One, you love and have faith in God. And two... You're loving God's people. You guys are doing so well at engaging and being the church in that way. Now, we're going to come back to Ephesus in a little bit, but for about the next 10 minutes, we're going heavy sociology, again, pulling from more resources than usual. usual. Lots of people with PhDs, but first, I just want to start simple. Before we go super deep, I want to start simple with actually a quote from a member of our church, and uh, and you've probably seen... um, These two, they're like best friends. Uh, They're always together Uh, in the family room. uh, That's Zeke and Bo. In the family room, you can usually catch them playing tag, talking about dinosaurs. And so it's the thing friendships are made of. But um, Zeke Oliayi said this about Bo Delang, his best friend. God made Bo to be my best friend, so we are on the same team. You didn't awe at that? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Come on, guys. God made Bo to be my best friend, so we are on the same team. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's really sweet. God made Bo to be my best friend, so we are on the same team. And uh, and again, uh, Zeke's theology isn't perfect. He said some things that I just don't fully agree with. But there are some things that Zeke says that I'm like, man, that is spot on. And this is one of them. And I want to assert, if this is true, I also want to assert that God doesn't love Zeke more than he loves you or me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak what Zeke said, and we're going to come back to this over and over again. God makes friends for us, and we are on the same team. Also, God's made you to be a good friend to someone else, and we are on the same team. You are on the same team. And if we're going after this on our own, and maybe I need to lean into a friend every now and then to just bring me a meal, but we're going after two different things, that's not the goal. Zeke says we're on the same team, and I'm going to believe him, that we're going after something together, and God makes friends for us, and we are on the same team. So I want to jump from Zeke to Maslow, as one does. Maslow's hierarchy, psychologist. Um, He identified what are the basic needs of just being a human being, a healthy human being. And at the bottom, it's physiological needs. This is food, water, shelter. And right above that, right above that, it's safety needs. So, like food, or uh, I'm sorry, um, financial safety, physical safety. The big one is even like health safety, like knowing that you're in good health. And so, the two basic things that he says, look, we've got to get this right is physiological and safety food, water, shelter and then some kind of safety around our health and around our bodies. And then right above that, look right above that. It's not esteem, it's not aesthetic, it's not a good job, it's, it's belonging. The third most important thing, after uh, hours and hours of study that he identified, is belonging. And he defines belonging in another place as this, trust, acceptance, and friendship. Yet, Three in five people, this is a post pandemic study, three in five people would identify themselves as lonely. And I don't think that's just like out there with them, the non Christians. That would be true in this room. When you look around, three in five people would identify as lonely. That means that if you feel lonely, you are not alone. Actually, you're in the majority. Three in five people would identify as lonely. And I want you to imagine this. What if we look at the first two layers of that pyramid? What if like three in five people in America were homeless? What if three in five people in America were hungry? I mean, homelessness and hunger is an outrage. Like, it's awful. It is not the will of God, but it's nowhere near 60%. Imagine the crisis that our country, and I hope our country would rally around, if three in five people were chronically sick. That would be crazy. Yet just one step above those, three in five people would say, yeah, I, I don't really feel like I belong. I don't really feel like I have that trust or acceptance or friendship." And a lot of anthropologists think that this has come over time from the Industrial Revolution, or really they've identified four industrial revolutions. First, with the steam engine, it made travel more cheaply, which means now we can live in cities instead of self-sustaining villages. And then mass production comes, and now we can start buying things more cheaply, which means um, I don't have to rely necessarily on you to make that, and I can trade with this. I can now just go buy it because of mass production. And then in the digital um revolution not only can we travel more cheaply buy things more cheaply but now we can have relationships more cheaply and the revolution the industrial revolution that has happened and is still happening now that's not all bad I mean one of the things that has come from mass production capitalism anything that you want to like look at there is like man we've made a lot more food Less people per capita are hungry than ever before because we have figured out how to maximize and find economies of scale. If you look at life expectancy, specifically of men, over the last 150 years, it has gone up because some of the backbreaking work that once had to be done by people now are done by machines. Guys, there are really good things that have come from the Industrial Revolution, and most anthropologists agree there is a darker underbelly Specifically, there's been one goal throughout this whole revolution of time, since 1765, throughout this whole time, there has been one primary goal that the revolution has been leading towards, and it's independence. Independence is chief. It is the chief goal of kind of the ways that we're uh, maturing as a society and the ways that we're trying to find ourselves. If I could just not rely on you, that would be the ultimate goal of the way that I could make a better society. And again, so much as good has come, but also that doesn't feel so good. And it's still happening today. Independence is still very much the goal today. If you don't believe me, get enough of sociologists, let's go to um, a psalmist. Beyonce says, the shoes on my feet, I bought them. The clothes I'm wearing, I bought them. That rock I'm rocking, I bought it. And here's what she says, now, and Matt, I depend on me. Uh, if you're a millennial, you actually learned how to spell the word, and I can't believe I'm about to say this in church, but you learned this, to spell the word independent from little boozy and little fat, <laughs> I-N-D-E-P-E-N, huh? do you know what that means? You guys remember that, and if you're not, if you're below 25, over 40, I'm so sorry. Uh, Let's go somewhere different. Let's go to Queen. Mr. Mercury himself says, God knows. He's now calling on the Almighty. God knows. I've got to make it on my own. So, baby, can't you see I've got to break free? Cultural leaders all of the time have been saying this. And then we go to an actual um, psychologist uh, and philosopher, sorry, Friedrich Nietzsche, Nietzsche, says it is the business it is the business of the very few to be independent. It is the privilege of the strong. And whoever attempts it proves that he is probably not only strong, but also daring beyond measure. Guys, Nietzsche, brilliant. So brilliant. But sometimes wrong. My college English professor would hate me for saying this, but Nietzsche was wrong. He was also the guy that penned God is Dead and eventually goes crazy. But guys, Nietzsche was wrong about independence, Beyonce was wrong. Queen was wrong. And if you can believe it, Lil Boozy and Lil Fat, P-H, were wrong. They were so wrong. Guys, they got this all wrong. Independence is not the goal. And if I'm looking at other thought leaders, even before them, namely one Jewish carpenter who penned these words at the beginning of the most famous sermon of all time, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That sounds different. The NLT translates it this way. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. And he's not talking about financial poverty there. Not only. He's talking about, man, what a blessing it is to be in need. Because when you are in need, the roots of humility can start to grow. Uh, The upside-down kingdom delights. This is in our notes, and this is so true. The upside-down kingdom kingdom delights in weakness and dependence. It delights in weakness and dependence. And the kingdom that we live in, the kingdom of this world, says rely on self. But the upside-down kingdom The one that God runs says, "No, rely on me and lean into others." And so we want to do that better and better as a church. God makes friends for us, and we are on the same team. Uh, Robin Dunbar, uh, Oxford evolutionary psychologist, did a ton of work on this. You've probably mostly heard, if you've heard of him, you've heard of him because of Dunbar's number. Did this big thing, uh, and we can put the graph up: big circle of how many relationships you can have, and at what level you can have them. So. Uh, We're going to actually talk about this this weekend, next week. We're going to be more in the center today. This is evolutionary psychologist. We want to lean into the brightest and the the smartest. And so here's what Robin Dunbar says after hours of study. First of all, in the most, most intimate place, and I don't quite get this, but you can have one and a half. (laughs) And for me, I mean, this is like your best, 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 best friend uh, or your spouse. Catherine would definitely be there for me. I guess I have room for a half. So... (laughs) I'll be taking applications. But I want to look at the circle right outside of that and then the circle outside of that, the five and the 15. This is what Dunbar would call um, close friends and best friends. And here's how he describes them. The next layer, after intimate, is five, and it is your shoulders to cry on friendships. They are the ones who will drop everything to support us when our world falls apart. The 15 layer include the previous five and your core social partners. They are your main social companions and they provide the context for having fun times. Now, if you're an introvert, you might scale down a little. If you're an extrovert, you might scale up. Uh, What's true is you cannot have 40 close friends, extroverts. We can't do that, so sorry. Introverts, you cannot have zero close friends and be healthy. So you can scale one way or the other. Dunbar has just said, here's the rough averages of what it seems like people can handle in a social capacity. He also says it's important to know, and I think this is important for us to realize, these don't have to be your people forever. He said, you will churn through some of these relationships. Some of them might stay forever. You will churn through some of these. He said, especially in your 20s and 30s, you will have a higher churn rate, and they might, they might depending on moving, start to stabilize in your later 30s, your 40s, and your 50s. But he said, these don't have to be your people forever, but these are what you can handle as far as your people now, specifically in the close and the good range. And then, and we're almost done with psychology, I know. And then he says there are seven factors that make a good friend. And again, we just want to lean into some of the best that psychology has to offer. Number one, language. Two, place of origin, educational trajectory, hobbies and interest, worldview musical tastes and sense of humor and he says the more of these we share in common with someone the stronger the relationship between us will be and the more altruistic we will be to each other and then he says this he says in order to find one of those two circles the five or the 15 you're closer, you're good friends you need at least three and then he says none are more important than the other but you need at least three which i think is interesting Again, this is all self-reflection for you as you're seeing faces in your mind of what do we have in common? Where are we going? This would be a good thing to take a picture of just and dig into it. There's a great article in The Atlantic that I'm somewhat summarizing, but it does so much more in-depth work. It's worth reading. But he says you have to have at least three, and no two are more important. And um, I hate to disagree with uh, an evolutionary psychologist, namely because I don't know what that means, Um, especially because he's British. You even see the U. I copied the U in humor just to, like, capture the, the Britishness of this. But um, I would argue two are more important. Uh, first of all, I would argue language. Like, none of my best friends are not going to speak English. Uh, and I don't quite get what he means by it. Maybe he's leaning into dialect. But uh, my best friends will speak English because it's the only language I speak fluently. But then in this context, I'm going to say also worldview, namely faith is a non-negotiable, especially, I mean, and if we have just decided, hey, I think I'm going to like nominally believe in Jesus, you probably can get away with close friends that aren't believing the same, but as we're pursuing wholehearted devotion to Jesus, as we're saying, no, I want to be all in for him, I would say it's very difficult, if not impossible, to have a close friend or a good friend that doesn't share that conviction as well, keeping in mind that gravity rarely pulls people up, it usually pulls down. And if there is a close friend, and I'm not saying break up with them and please don't cite me and then get so many emails from broken up friendships. But I would just say, look, as we're starting to start this process, maybe you've got a couple people or man, I wanna start to really think about my friendships more. I would just say, look, there is one non-negotiable. Like if I'm wholehearted for Jesus, I can't imagine my friendships would be healthy if they weren't also wholehearted for Jesus as well. Uh, All of the experts that I've said, Dunbar and Putnam and all of these people, I've I've summarized down four things that each of them say it takes to make good friendships. Now, they all have their different spin on things, but all four or all of these people have said four things that keep coming up over and over again. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about that. Number one, making good friends takes time. Takes time. Dunbar said it takes 50 hours to go from acquaintance to just like nominal friend. 90 to go to the next layer, and 60 to go. So by the time you've gone from acquaintance to good friend, you've spent 200 hours with that person. Guys, friendships are expensive. Friendships are going to cost you something. And, uh, And this came out of one study that was done on friendships and relationships. It says, having enough free time is frequently mentioned as a challenge to making new friends. Having enough free time is a frequent challenge mentioned to making new friends. Guys, that was done in 1985 do you think we've gotten more or less busy since 1985 and in 1985 they're saying man this is true this takes time but i don't know if i have enough of it and we have only as a society gotten busier making friends takes time the early church the church we so idolize in the west man i wish we could be like the early church the early church it says in acts 246 every day they continue to meet together or probably our hallmark verse at this church, Acts 5.42, says day after day. They were meeting in the temple courts and from house to house. There was a rhythm day after day. They were in large gatherings and small gatherings. They were in living rooms and they were in large places day after day. And I love the early church. We love the early church. We so often read Acts 2 and we're like, oh, if we could just be, if my church could just be like that. And and again, I agree. Here's the one thing that comes out of the early church is if we want what they had, we have to be willing to do what they did. If we want what they had, we have to do what they did. And it says every day or day after day, and maybe it's not a day, daily thing. That just sounds really difficult to be with the same people. But it's probably not a monthly thing either. Day after day, they were engaging with each other. Every day, they were meeting in the temple courts or from house to house. Uh, I remember Catherine and I, when we moved here, We just knew one friend. I had one friend from college that lived in Cincinnati, and that was it. Like, we didn't know anybody here. And and so we started just having dinner with anybody that would do it, like anybody that would hang out with us because we, like, really wanted friends. We had good friends in Vegas. It was, like, a lonely time. No one that was planting this church with us had moved here for the first nine months of us being here. And so we're just having dinner with all kinds of people. We got dinner one time, and I'll just trust that... They don't listen to this, but um, we got dinner with one girl that was friends with Catherine, kind of, maybe potentially in high school, and we got dinner with her and her husband one time. It was the first time we went to Mizunte. God bless that place. But I can, like, hold a conversation with most people, and this guy just did not want to be there. You could tell his wife made him have dinner with us. It was like I was having dinner with an angry four-year-old. Like, so what do you do for work, engineer? Okay. Okay. where do, you guys, where do you guys live? Hyde Park. All right, this is a blast. <laughs> Cincinnati's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and I can tell you, it took so much time and so many dinners, but it was six months into living here, I felt like we finally looked at each other and like, okay, if something blew up in our life, we wouldn't just have to call people outside of Cincinnati. We, uh, we started hanging out with the Delangs, and it was about six months, and they might still be trying to figure out if they're friends with us, but uh, for us, it was six months with them of saying, okay, I think... I think we have friends here. Six months. And we hung out with them like month one or two that we moved here. But it takes time to make friends. And it's so worth it. It's so worth it to pursue that. So it takes time to make friends. It takes vulnerability to make friends. Three and a half years. How many vulnerable moments do you think that the disciples and the early apostles had with each other? And then they had to come back from those moments and receive each other back into community. Think about the time. Guys, these are like teenagers, early 20-year-old men. If you've been in a locker room, you know some of the things that are talked about in there. Like the time that James and John got their mom to come to Jesus and say, Hey, could you have my boys sit at your right and your left? Imagine, men, if you've been in a locker room, what would happen if mommy came and talked to coach? What kind of feedback would you get there? And yet, James and John were still received into community. What about the time Thomas didn't believe and he still gets to hang out with them? What a vulnerable moment. What about the time Peter denied three times Jesus was, who, he, or that he knew Jesus, and he still got to go fishing a month later with his friends? Guys, vulnerable, vulnerable moment after vulnerable moment. The disciples had, and those are the people, those are the men and women that turn the world upside down. Jenny Allen puts it this way. She says that we often put up walls ...to protect ourselves. Walls of shame, walls of protection, and walls of expectation. And guys, walls are great. It's not like they serve no use. If you want to be safe, put up a wall. If you want to be safe, be anonymous. But if you want to be healthy, we have to be known. If we want to be safe, be anonymous. If we want to be healthy, then we have to be known. Friendships take time. Friendships take vulnerability. Friendships take clarity. And if vulnerability is the hardest one of these... I'm gonna say clarity is the most awkward. We've all witnessed relationships, dating relationships, or maybe dating relationships that didn't have the same expectation. I thought we were together. I guess that we were just friends. And it's awkward to witness those things, and out of those experiences that we've either been in or we've seen, it's like, oh my gosh. Like Most healthy relationships have some level of clarity. Most healthy relationships, and hear what I'm saying, have some level of exclusivity, actually. Um, In the words of our own Brandon Macaulay, he says, don't be afraid to define the relationship. So awkward, but so true. Don't be afraid to, like, bring some clarity to friendships. Jesus spent all night, one night, praying. Big decision coming up. When was the last time you spent all night praying for something? This was like a major decision. Son of God didn't get any sleep because he was about to make a decision praying. And in Luke 6 13, it says, When morning came, he called his disciples to him. And he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. This was the big decision that he had coming up. I've got to choose these people that are going to be exclusive and clear and intimate with me in my life. And Jesus, it's almost like Dunbar copy and pasted Jesus, but Jesus had 120. And then he sent out 2 by 270. And then he had clarity uh, or a special intimacy with like 12. And then even tighter than that, Peter, James, and John got uh, even more access to him. It's almost like Jesus was operating in this way. And guys, exclusivity is like a tough word to even say. There are a million ways we can do this wrong. And only probably a few that we can do this right. But as a church, we really, really want to be good at friendship. And I think it's worth it for us to wade into the potential messiness to say, okay, friendship is worth it. Jesus was right when he put clear friendships around him. God makes friends for us, and we are on the same team. A couple examples of this. uh, When we used to live in Vegas, we um, hung out with the same, uh, I think it was seven, or uh, sorry, eight people every Sunday night for about a year. And man... At times, like somebody asks you, what are you doing on Sunday night? It was a little weird to be like, oh yeah, we've got plans. Like the same plans with the same people. But man, the, the like intimacy, the friendship that we experienced from some kind of regular, clear friendship was so, so good. It brought together so much life. These were the people that like, when life was blowing up, we could turn to. Um, this is different. This isn't pure discipleship or pure friendship, but I love this. Uh, Blake Allsmith in our church said He told me this months ago, but he said that he has um, three people in his life that, like, they have exclusive authority over him. And, like, not just over him, but, like, his friends, his wife have their numbers. And, like, if he's doing something, he reflexively submits to these three people. Now, guys, how well would it work if he reflexively submitted to everyone? Not super well. But there's a clarity and exclusivity of, like, no, you three, I trust you three. You guys have the ability to speak into my life. I love that. That's so cool. But there does take that bit of an awkward conversation of like, hey, I need you to be this for me in my life. And, again, a million ways to do this wrong, few ways to do this right. We just want to explore and wade gingerly into what's it look like to make really good friends, specifically close friends and good friends as Dunbar would define it. What's it look like to find our people? Um, So this afternoon, I would love if you would um, even just take a moment because so much of this can be diagnosed through psychology and then so much of this is actually just like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? We believe that the voice of the Lord is so prevalent still today and we believe that God can speak to us. And so spending some time this afternoon and saying, God, what's my next step in finding my people? Especially if you would identify as like, no, I don't think that that's completely true of me. I don't know if I have like my, not not exclusive, but my intimate people like that I would go to. If you want to really deepen some friendship, ask the Lord this morning or this afternoon, Lord, what is my next step? Is it adequate time? Do I need to put more time into this? Increased vulnerability? Do I need to bring more clarity? Uh, But we, and I don't think any church should miss on this, but we are a church specifically that cannot miss on friendship. Doing what we want to do, specifically being a church that loves and embraces singleness. We want to be a church that champions not just getting married, but marriage might not be the next step in discipleship for so many of us. We cannot miss on friendship if we're going to be a church that does singleness and marriage together well. And guys, if you're married, you desperately need good friends for a healthy marriage. And if you're single, you desperately need good friends to do singleness well. Guys, we are all on the same playing field. Do not say your spouse is your best and only only friend. That is not good. That That does not lend itself to the kind of design that Jesus made his church to be. So time, vulnerability, clarity. The last one, and I would argue the most important one that we're gonna finish with is mission. If there's not a shared passion, it's going to be hard to share some kind of relationship. And I would say it could be we love the same music, We love to travel. We love the same TV shows. But I would argue it's not a task or a thing that's the best mission, but a person. If your best friends aren't also radically pursuing Jesus, it's going to be very, very difficult to consider them to bring you up to the place that you want to go. Going all the way back to the church in Ephesus, about 35 years after Paul wrote the letter, this church is still alive, still moving. And in Revelation 2, now it's Jesus that speaks to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, Revelation 2, 2-4. through He says to that church, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for in my name and you have not grown weary yet. I mean, a lot of good compliments, but yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. And guys, this feels like a healthy community, right? I mean, they get deeds, hard work, perseverance. Their doctrine's great, praise the Lord. Not growing weary. We'd kill for a church like that. We'd kill for a community like that. And Jesus says, well, actually, there's something a little bit off. Stop the programs. No more initiatives. Love the theological correction. Let's table that for a second. Stop all of it, church, and just remember that you were started off pursuing me. You started off pursuing me. Love for Jesus must be preeminent above everything. Any relationship we have, above any initiative we do, above any ministry that we pursue, love for Jesus has to be preeminent above all things. In Ephesus, the church was still doing good church things, but 30 years later, they had drifted a little. Their love had drifted a little. And guys, we want to be people that are going after Jesus wholeheartedly. And we want to find our people to do that with. But it's okay if those people aren't forever. It's okay if it starts off awkward it's okay if it takes six months. But Barna did a study and said 38% of Christians prefer to do this whole Jesus thing on their own. That is not okay. Mother Teresa said loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. That is not okay. And having community that pursues anything above, below, alongside with Jesus is not okay. Okay, we want to do friendship well, but we want to be pursuers, radical lovers of Jesus more than anything. And as we're pursuing that, I bet there's going to be people that come alongside us that have some of those other seven in common, but we're going after the same thing. We have to be on mission together, and our mission is the preeminence and the love and the falling in love with who Jesus is. In the words of Zeke Oliai, God makes friends for us. And we are on the same team. God has made friends for you. God has made you to be a good friend, and you are on the same team with them. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm going to close with this, says this. He led uh, an incredible community in the midst of Nazi Germany. Therefore let him, who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians, praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community, with, in community with Christian brethren. God, give us the courage to pursue friendships and give us the thankfulness to recognize your grace in the midst of it. Lord, we want to do this. We want to go after you. We want to be wholehearted, but Lord, we don't want to do it alone. And so, God, would you teach us what it looks like to be good friends? Lord, help us to find our people that we get to do this next season of life with. It's in your name we pray. Amen.